Thank you, Tom. I took, I took Tom's advice from the first service. Uh, I turn my mic on usually when I'm walking up here so it gets time, but when he said we're gonna sing, I took his advice and turned my mic off just so you didn't have to disrupt you and be thinking about that during the service. When, whenever we try to present things to you, and I told you this last time, and whenever we try to, like we read the scriptures, we listen to a sermon, we download something, Pat and Steve and I, our purpose when we visit with you is literally we have one goal that we want to accomplish, and then there's a lot of other principles that come out as we're studying the word because it's so vast and unlimited. But our, our goal is to fulfill what Jesus said in his priestly prayer when he said, and this is life, this is eternal life, this is all that life is about, that you may know him and his son Jesus Christ whom he has sent, is to help you somehow aid you in your relationship with God, to make it more personal. If something you hear doesn't seem to move you in that direction, it just gives you more principles or more uh, things to think about or more knowledge, I'm not sure it was fruitful. So, so one part of that is to just to help you, to aid you, to free you to, to be able to do that. The second part is that sometimes we speak to remove something that's impeding you and I from, from that relationship. We're, we're referred to as vessels, uh, conduits. Uh, it's where the life of God flows through us like veins. Uh, he refers to the vine. And sometimes they get clogged up. And when they get clogged up, it's hard for the life of God to flow through. And sometimes it's hard to hear. Today is going to be one of those topics that is going to help remove something that can impede us, something that will prevent us from really moving into freedom in this. Uh, I have to warn you, uh, my mom, who just had her 89th birthday, uh, told me the story of when she learned to drive. And uh, the, back then, they did not have such cars as automatics. Everything was a manual. You had a clutch, and, and, the, and they didn't have all of these nice clutches. So my dad uh, taught my mom how to drive a clutch. Took her out one day, it was an old car, and it literally looked like a grasshopper, he said, until it hit the van that was in front of them, right into the side of it. Uh, he said in that day, we did not have seat belts, so otherwise I would have said, put on your seat belt. I'm telling you today, in this message, put on your seat belt. Uh, some of the people, when they left the first service, uh, it's amazing the comments you get. Uh, you, you hope that some of them will help you so the second service doesn't get uh, all the things that they had to put up with. But they said, that was not fun. <laughs> and so, so here we go. Uh, this is not fun as I can vouch for myself. The... Three things that I'm going to be talking about a series for I don't know how many weeks. I'm going to take this week and next week for the first part of the series. And then Pat and Steve will talk for a while, and then I'll come back and hit a second part of this series. Uh, I am pleading to maybe do a third part of the series because there's so much information, and, and it's an area that I think it's... it's we fly over it so fast, and yet it consumes most of our minds and most of our hearts. When I, when I ask people, uh, I, I remember one time, I've, I've had a lot of people dealing with eating disorders and, and anorexia and stuff like that, and I will ask the person, uh, 
What part of your brain, your mind, your thoughts is occupied? How much, what percentage is occupied thinking of what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna buy to wear, what you're gonna look like, when you're gonna exercise? And the most common answer I get is 80%. 80% of my day I'm thinking about my appearance and somehow how it relates to that. I think this topic, as it relates to your wealth, your finances, your economy, what you possess, what you own, when I ask people that question, it is real close to 75%. How are you going to, your job, your work, what you're going to earn, what you're going to buy, how you're going to be secure, uh, what about the future, and so it occupies our mind. God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Also, the heathen, they eagerly occupy their mind with. And so we are going to look at three points that I think are essential for you and I to understand all of the other principles the Bible tells us about money, about debt, about budget, about giving, uh, about greed, about covetousness, about work, about labor, about rest, about Sabbath, all of the things about finances, I do not believe you can really comprehend, nor can you enter into applying it to your life until you understand these three principles that we're going to touch on today. These will be foundational principles for you and me. If we can get these principles today, and if you can at least fasten your seatbelt and, and, and at least allow yourself to move into this, I assure you there will be freedom in your life like you've never experienced before in your life. I really do. I've walked with God for about 46 years, and I am embarrassed of how far I am from what I'm about to tell you. Uh, this last month I've been looking at this. I've been looking at it for quite a while, and this is why Steve said, I know it's been on your heart. You might as well talk about it. And uh, I said, I get to talk about something I want? And he said, yeah. So here we go. First key thing is that your God and my God owns everything in this world. He owns it all. First Chronicles chapter 29 says that uh, thine, O Lord, is, uh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything on the earth and in the heavens is yours, and it lies in your hand to strengthen everyone. And you are authority and you have dominion over everything. And therefore, it is within your desire to strengthen and lift up anybody. Both riches and honor. That means both wealth, all that you possess, and honor. The word is kabod. And it basically means all of life of your image, your glory of how you're seen and, and how life is full. Both riches and honor, both riches and kabod belong to God. So then he goes on and he says, so who am I? And who are all my people that we have given so generously to you? Have we not just taken from your right hand and given to your left? Do you not possess all things on this planet, in heaven and on earth, and have we not just received from you? So who are we to boast about what we've brought before you? We'll look at the rest of that scripture in a while, but it is a powerful scripture. The thing I want you to know there, and there's lots of verses all the way through the scripture that God wants you and me to understand that he says, I own it all. 
If I was thirsty, would I ask you for something to drink? If I was hungry, would I ask you for something? Your sacrifices to me are not for my benefit. They're for you. Your tithe that you give isn't for God. God doesn't need your tithe. It's for you to be reminded that God owns it all. The second part is the challenge. And the challenge is this. There is an incredible secret place of peace and blessedness in possessing nothing. The beautiful, beautiful freedom of possessing nothing. By the way, you all possess nothing. I'm just trying to help convince you today. I talked to Steve earlier. Judy would be a testimony of this. People that have been in, in looking death in the face, when they hear this word, they go to what I call a seminary. They go for the greatest seminary they can ever go to. And the seminary basically is teaching them about life more than any books and anything that's given to them can tell them. Talked to Steve, and I said, Steve, do you care that much about what you own, what you have, what your car looks like? He says, not a bit anymore. Nothing. How free would it be? You see, way back in the garden, when God created man, the first thing he did is he created things. He created the sky and the galaxies and the trees and the rivers and all of the, the gold and all the different things he created and, and animals and the beauty, and he created all of these things to be external to man. And then God, when he created man, he created man so that he would take in the throne and live within a man and that man and God would be united together as one. God inside man the way man was intended to invite God, man into the union of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everything in life was external to be enjoyed. But man owned nothing. He had within him the possession of the life of God in his throne. And then man decided, I think I'd do better taking that which is outside me and putting it inside me. And when he did, he removed God from the throne of his life, and whatever that thing was took up residency within inside him. And now man took on this ability to possess. Now they possessed. My and mine became a word in man's vocabulary. That is mine. That's my. I have grandchildren. Uh, they continually remind me of this. One of them might get a good present for Christmas, and the other one comes by when, the, when they look the other way and grabs that toy, and what do you think happens? That's mine! That's mine. And so we attempt as grandparents and parents to try to convince them of a great theology that none of us get, then that is that, oh, that's not really yours. You can share it. Don't you want to share it? No, that's mine. I look at it. It's so obvious sometimes when I see it. My heart delights when one of them says, that's okay. You can play with it. And I think that is so cool until God shows me in my life, I have it all over. That's my desk. That's my car. That's my yard. That's my lot line. That's my office. That's my job. We have it. 
The nature of man now is to possess, and we've turned upside down a world that's in chaos because of mine and my possession. There's a story of a man who wanted desperately, desperately to have a child. He and his wife tried and tried and tried to have a child. They did all the, the, the things that you're supposed to do to try to have a child, uh, and they did it and did it until finally they came to the place where they threw up their hands, and they were 100 years old when they were saying, hey, you're going to bear a child, Abraham and, I, and Sarah. They laughed, but they took that boy when he was born, and that boy was such a blessing from God, as a gift from God, and they took him until something happened that Isaac began to come in, and rather than be somebody they would shower and pour their love and their teaching on, he took a place in their heart and the throne of their life. And God says, Abraham, we're going to go, and we're going to sacrifice the lad. Do you get that night of agony? Can you think of that agony that night? I don't think ever before in the history of man has there ever been such mortal pain in the soul other than maybe Gethsemane. I, in a mild way, many of you have experienced this, but I remember a year and a half ago when Nick got the virus and we went to Mayo, and I was there with Sherry, and all of a sudden he collapsed. We, he first didn't have any use of the left arm, then he collapsed and he didn't have any use of the legs, as you guys know. And then we were told that we had to get down this machine to test the lungs because this could move to the lungs, and if it moves to the lungs, he will die. My quiet prayer, God, take me. I've lived 60-some years. Abraham says, oh, God, take me. I've lived 100 years. I've lived a full life. The story was he was sacrificed. He thought until the voice of Jehovah Jireh came down, and that's where you first hear the name, Jehovah Jireh. I am your personal provider in all that you need. He says, I've provided the sacrifice. By the way, Abraham, I never intended for you to slay the lad. We just needed him removed from the throne of your life so that I might take up reign there in residency where I belong so you could enjoy freedom the rest of your days. What is your Isaac? What is your Isaac? You see the sweet secret that the heart can only learn in the school of renunciation are books of systematic theology, all of your words and teachings will never give it to you. It's only a practice that is taken by renunciation. David, before he gave that, that long sermon of how awesome God was and how good God was, before that all took place, he was looking at all that the people had given, and he looked at all that the people had given, and it was overflowing, and he came and he made these words. He said, all of this gold and all of this preciousness that they have given, I'm going to put myself all in. 
And he says, I took my resources and I dumped all of my resources and said, I so believe in this, all of mine is going into this as well. Then he turns to his people, and this phrase was interesting. He says, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day with me? Who then? The word consecrate is an interesting word. It has a lot of different meanings to it, but one of the portions of the meanings here was taken uh, from when somebody has to give back to somebody what they rightfully have. Just like if I'd say to you, Natty, give that back to Callie, that is hers. Give it back. The word was to consecrate. And he was saying to his people, who's gonna give back what rightfully doesn't belong to you? Give it back. It's not yours. You don't possess it. It goes on in the verse in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29. But who am I and who are my people that we have given so generously to you? Have we not just given back to you that what rightfully belongs to you? Who are we to boast and say about what we have? For we did not receive anything that did not come from you. Another verse says even when you're talking about your talents, your talents or your giftedness that you have, he says, did you not receive that from above? Nobody has something that was not given to him from on high. Your ability to sing, Tom, was given to you. It's not yours. You don't possess it. Any ability that I have to speak to you or to give some understanding of truth was not mine, is not mine. It was given to me. And unless I give it back to God, it will bear no fruit. In Psalm 16, this is the third point, and this is an incredible point. No way on earth are you and I ever going to go ahead and come to a place of renouncing until we understand the third principle. First principle is God owns it all, and you're just giving back to God what is rightfully his. The third principle is this. This Jehovah Jireh is crazy in love with you and knows everything that you and I need pertaining to living life on this planet. In Psalm 16, he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. No good besides you. As for the saints that are in the world, they're the majestic one in which is all of my delight. But those who have bartered for another God in their heart, in their throne. Their sorrows, their troubles, their worries, their concerns are gonna be multiplied, multiplied, and multiplied. I, though, will not take those things upon my heart, nor will they come upon my lips. For God, you have poured out for me and counted out my portion, and it's perfectly suited for me. What I have, what I possess is perfectly suited for me, and by the way, I don't even possess it. It all belongs to you. The answer, he goes after that, it says that if I would go ahead and enter into this truth and this reality that God possesses it all and anything I need, he's gonna give to me, I can therefore let loose of everything that I have. He says, therefore then, in my presence will be fullness of joy and in your, my, your right hand will be pleasures forevermore. 
Remember, guy walking out and he's standing by his car and I think he's upset some of the people inside and these are some bikers inside and he's standing next to this nice convertible and he's standing there and the biker comes out and takes out his key says, think you're pretty hot stuff, don't you? And he takes the key, digs it in the side of the Corvette and just scrapes the Corvette. Guy looks at him, looks at him, he goes, hmm. Parker says, doesn't that any bu- even bug you? Goes, Not my car. <laughs> if you possess nothing, nobody can take anything away from you. You own nothing, and yet once you release it, it says once you release it, you become heirs of the kingdom of God and heirs of Jesus Christ. You can own nothing and at the same time own everything. So we're going to ask you today to consider some things. First of all, I'm going to ask you to consider things. Things. What things are you willing to list to give back to God that they're his anyway and you're simply going to give them back? Consecrate and say, I'm going to list these things. It can start with your clothing, your house, your decorations, your cars, your toys, your boats, your RVs. Your, we can keep going on all the different things. What is it that God is going to put on your heart that he's saying, that there in your heart, let me take that and come in there, hand it over. Give it back, consecrate it. Things. It might be people. Second thing you have on your page there is it might be people. Like it was with Abraham. I've had to many times when I did this list that which tugged on my heart and started to take too much of my heart in an improper way. My grandchildren were 10 of them. And I've had to individually list by name my grandchildren that they do not belong to me. I remember one time, and I was in Laramie, Wyoming, and I was, on my, I was over there training, and I came back, and I remember leaving, and I just was uncomfortable. And it came to me that I was, I thought this was a real brilliant deduction. And I said, God, when I'm away, I can't think of a better babysitter than you to watch over my kids. And he, you're the babysitter. Those are mine. Those children are not yours. You're going to lay them back into the hands of the real parent? Don't you think I'll take care of them better than you? And it dawned on me that my kids were not mine. I was just to be good stewards of God's kids. What people possess? The last thing is image. Image. Are you willing to go ahead and lay down your image? Because I think that finances, wealth, security, is about as tough as it gets. You can fake all the rest of the Christian life most of the time. You can come to church, you can show up on Sundays, you can go ahead and read your Bible and go to your Bible studies and you can give your tithe, but to have your whole heart given, finances tests the real thing. That's where you find out where people are, but I think also the other is image, how you're seen. 
Sometimes you can hand it out, like today I'm going to ask you to set it down and list it and give it back to God. That doesn't mean you won't tug of war with him for a while. But I remember my life, I remember distinctly one night how it hit me when I, I took the flash and I took the camera of a still camera and I backed up and I was playing baseball, the California Angels. I was having a good game and I'd walk off the field and people would come and want my autograph. Give you autograph, give me your autograph, give me your autograph. Let's stop the camera right there and let's move four months later ahead. I am now bankrupt, working night shifts at the 7 to 11, wearing a white and red smock, pouring ices in a poor neighborhood. Nobody wanted my autograph. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody cared who I was. My flesh wanted to say, you know what I was? God says, your image? Let me tear it out of your heart and put myself there where you'll be completely free. I'm not even close to being here. I'm on the journey with you. This is a little uh, questionable in sharing this with a group. Somebody said, confession is good for your soul, but it is not very good for your image. I was asked by somebody to come to dinner this last week, and I've been preparing this message, so this has been on my heart a lot, and I've been preparing this. And some friend of mine gave me a very expensive wine. And I like to have a very expensive, nice-tasting wine. And so I thought, hey, let's be generous. Let's bring this wine to this dinner. On the way there, I'm in the car with my wife, and I've got the wine protected, you know, in this pad. I get a text that says, hey, we've got the food and the wine provided. Just bring a salad. You know what I did? I took that wine and I was going to put it under the seat of the car. And my arm wouldn't let go of the wine. God said, did we not ask to bring that wine? But they're providing the wine. And I realized, I laughed, and I told Nancy, I said, look at this. I've been talking about handing it, that's my wine. And if I give that wine, I'll end up with Boone's Farm or something. (laughs) Now, I actually think I believe that in my heart. It was pulling the wine. I said, isn't this so funny how far we are from doing this? But what really hit me in this study, and this one is far more real, giving the wine up was not very hard. They didn't even open it when I was there. (laughs) Security. What about your nest egg? What do you've got for your retirement and all the things that you're resting in, you're securing in? You're willing to say, okay, I'll list my shoes. You'll write down your shoes and maybe you give your shoes. Let's move it along until all of a sudden we get to a place of being secure, completely secure. If the economy falls You're not that worried, because why? Because you have a holy God that you can trust in that says, I know everything about you. I will never leave you ever without uh, food and water and all the things that you need pertaining to life and godliness. Trust me and see. No, I trust in something else. In the job that I've had for 34 years, we lived off of support. People would 
donate to our ministry, and that's how we made a living. Matter of fact, I'm looking at you. You were some of the first to ever donate. And, you know, it was pretty much bleak in my mind because I was always looking at what other people had, and yet never once was I ever without, and never once did I ever lack of anything. But what happened over the years and years of doing this is that people began to donate, and then what happens is after you have so much for your salary, if there's any left over, it goes into a little reserve. It goes into a nest egg, so that when support dies down at times that you can grab from the nest egg and you're okay. Well, when that nest egg starts to build up, you feel really secure. What do you think it was he told me about this week? That nest egg and that reserve, consecrate it, give it back. That isn't yours. Some things are easy and some things are very difficult. I fought with that and I said, well, wait, wait a minute. I'm getting old and all my supporters are dying. I'm going to be without. He said, remove it from your heart. Remove it from your heart. Will I not take up residency within there? Will you not test me in this and see that I will open up the windows of heaven and rain upon you till you won't have room for it? I have to tell you that in talking even to Steve, and I'm sure many of you have experienced this way, way before I even looked at it, the freedom of possessing nothing is beautiful. You can't take anything Satan comes to take from you. You say, you, I don't own anything. And then he tells you what you can have. And you said, I don't need it. I own it all. For I'm heirs of the God of the universe. I just don't have to have it be my or mine anymore. I can just be a steward of what he owns. How do you do it? It says to wait expectantly. The word literally means to braid yourself like a hair being braided. Any girls got their hair braided out here right now? Well, it basically means this. Take your strand of possessing nothing, of owning nothing, and braid it with the God, Jehovah Jireh, the God of all supply. Braid yourself together with him. That's what it means to, to basically possess nothing. So I'm going to ask you on the bottom of the green page, there are three things there. Things, you're not going to have time to do it now, but today, don't let time go by. Just ask God. Say, God, search me. Know my heart. What is it that I possess that you really do not have reign over? And start listing the items. Talents, gifts, your job, your retirement, your investments, everything, your toys, your debt, your debt is basically we'll talk about next week. Maybe it's that unbelievable pickup that you've got that you're paying un unreasonable amounts of money. Are you willing to list that? Or does your image come into place, which is the third one? List the things that your image is about, your looks, your popularity, whatever the image is, and then list the names of people one by one. 
I'm going to read a prayer, and I'd ask you to join with me in this prayer, and we'll close with it. This old saint, who I think is probably, from my opinion, God didn't say this, I think he's probably a, a present day, he's dead, but he's probably a present day prophet. I think, in my opinion, I think that this guy, Tozer, and maybe C.S. Lewis were two prophets in our day. They've crossed every dimension of theology from this extreme to this extreme, and somehow people have accepted them because they preach the central message of God. Here's his prayer. Would you make it yours with me? You can read it along with me on your green page. Father, I want to know you, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding. I do not try to hide from you the terror of this parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from me, from my heart, all those things which I have so cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self, so that you may enter and dwell there without a rival. Then you shall make the place of your feet glorious within me. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there in Jesus' name. Amen.